Thanks for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Eric Rogers, the Executive Pastor here at Rolling Hills. We are so glad that you've joined us today for the second week of our series, The One. Today, you'll hear from Pastor Jeff teach from Ruth 2 and what falling in love looks like from a biblical perspective. Now, here's Pastor Jeff. Welcome church family. Welcome to those watching online. So glad you're joining in today. I'm so excited. We're continuing this series called The One. And we started last week just talking about marriage and dating in today's world and how it's so different. You know, COVID has come in and, and changed so many things, right? I mean, you got social distancing, you got sheltering place, you got quarantining, and, and it's impacted our relationships. It's impacted the things that are going on in our lives and the friendships, relationships, and dating, and it's impacted our marriages. I was talking to a guy at our church this week, and, uh, you know, he's got a seven-year-old son, and, and the seven-year-old is doing school, you know, online, and the dad's working from home, and the whole family's together, and they're eating together one night, and the seven-year-old looks up and goes, Mom and Dad, I love you, but I'm really tired of just being with you guys. You know, I want to see some other people. The dad goes, yeah, we agree. You know, it's like, <laughs> we're right there. I mean, it's hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. The great part is dads are home. The great part is families are together in some ways, but at sometimes it puts stress. It puts strain because it's different, right? I mean, it's different in the way that we live. Here's a couple of memes that have been out. You know, these are kind of fun, right? My vow said in sickness and in health, not in quarantine. <laughs> you know, so like, I went a part of the whole vow thing, right? Uh, what about this one from the office, right? When you get into a fight but can't remember how it started, I don't know what we're yelling about, right? I mean, so maybe you've been there. Uh, this one, if my husband doesn't stop singing my corona, he's going to have a bigger problem on his hands than a worldwide pandemic, right? You know, so kind of been there too on that one, or this one. Husband, you know the nice part about being in quarantine is we aren't going out and spending money. Me, click to add to a cart. So nice, huh? Yeah, I was like, yeah, those Amazon packages just keep showing up. I'm like, wait a minute, I thought we were saving money during this, you know? But this is all this thing that's happening out there. There's this strain in all of our relationships. Why? Because, you know, we're, we're used to going out, right? I mean, you know, dads are used to like being out traveling or back then, you know, you were hunting or gathering or fishing or doing crops, you know, now everybody's at home and all together. And it's like, how do we manage this? And there is a way, right? There is a way. It's God's way. But I believe that we're in a spiritual battle, right? I believe we have an enemy who comes in and who, who preys on relationships, especially during this time. And as you look at this pandemic, yeah, there's a pandemic of illness, but there's also the mental side that the impact. You see, alcoholism is up. You know, divorce is up, right? Abuse is up. Depression is up. And you see that the enemy comes in in this time, and we have to say, no, get behind me, Satan. In the name of Jesus, my God is greater. And I'm going to reclaim this time for the glory of God. I'm going to grow deeper in my love for God. I'm going to grow deeper in my relationships. I'm going to grow stronger and be the man or woman that God called created me to be, that God is the better to be the one in my life. This is the time for us to grow, and this is for us to have stronger relationships in all of our lives, and I'm excited about that. Even in the midst of the challenges, I'm excited for what God is doing. So if you have a Bible with you today, I invite you to open back with me to the Old Testament. We're going back to Ruth. Ruth. Now, Ruth is in the Old Testament, and, and I want to tell you, this is one of the greatest love stories of all time. And so if you don't have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab one in the back. Or if you're online, grab another mobile device and you can access it, version. Also, we'll put the scripture on the screen. But I want you to see this today. So Ruth is back there. Joshua judges Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. So that whole 
area uh, back there toward the front part of the Bible. Last week we talked about Genesis and how God created us for relationships. I mean, it's, it's how God made us, right? He said it's not good for man to be alone, that we need relationships, we need people in our lives. Uh, but then what happened, right? I mean, man was in right relationship with God, they were in right relationship with each other until chapter 3, and then sin entered into the world. And now you've got these broken relationships, you've got this fall that comes. But in the middle of the Old Testament is this beautiful love story. And I want to tell you, this is like the most amazing love story out there. It's better than any Hallmark movie, it's better than Titanic or The Notebook. I mean, like, it is like amazing because it is rags to riches, it is deep love, and there's so much that we can learn from this today. So check out here verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. All right, so there's a famine in the land, and the land that is God's land, God's country, the place that God took his people. And instead of waiting on God to provide, these people bail. All right, the dad's like, we're not going to wait on God. We're not going to do it his way. We're going to go to Moab, which they weren't supposed to do, but he heads off to Moab. And the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephraimites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. Now here again, these Jewish boys were not supposed to marry women from a different land, but they did. They married these Moabite women. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Pretty depressing so far, but here we go, right? It says, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So Naomi's like, okay, we need to go back and do it God's way. We need to get back to the land of God. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each one of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So Naomi's like, okay, you know, daughters-in-law, you don't have to go. You can stay here with your family, with your relatives. You know, hopefully you get remarried and, and you can stay here. We'll look at verse 14. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpha's like, yeah, I'm going to stay here in Moab. I'm going to go back. I'm going to be back here. But Ruth clung to her, right? Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people. And notice this, her gods, little g. Her gods, little g, her pagan gods, right? Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. And your people will be my people and your God, capital G, right there. Your God will be my God, right? This is Ruth's defining moment. This is the time she's like, no, I'm not going back and doing it the world's way. I'm not going back in the mud. I'm gonna follow my God. And I love Naomi here, I gotta tell you guys. I mean, she was amazing. And at some point, she led her daughter-in-law to the Lord, right? And said, you need to follow God. He will take care of us. He'll provide for us. You hold on to 
him. And praise God for this godly woman here. Well, it says in chapter 2, verse 1, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. So back then, right, I mean, if you were a woman and you didn't have a husband or you didn't have a son or you didn't have, you know, a father or somebody to take care of you, you were vulnerable. I mean, like you were in trouble. And so here's these two women coming back, these two widows, single women coming back to Bethlehem. And and Ruth is like, we've got to eat. So I'm going to go out in the fields and pick up the leftover grain. I'm going to go out there and try to get that. And, And Naomi's like, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now that was important, because here she is. She is an outcast, right? I mean, she is a Moabite, and she is a single woman. She has no rights. She was very vulnerable right here. This was very dangerous, and she ends up in the field of Boaz, by God's grace, his sovereignty, right? And just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. I bet she was like, yes, right? You know, like he loves God. Okay, that's that's good. Well, they responded, the Lord bless you, they answered. It's like, oh, good. Okay, I'm around people who have a care about God, right? And then Boaz looks around and he asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? So he's coming up, he's looking at the field, and he's like, hey, I know everybody here, but you, you know, who are you? And so he asks around and they finds out a little bit about who she is. And then look at verse 11. Boaz replied, I've been told about you and all you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So he says to Ruth, hey, you can stay here, right? You, you follow God, great job taking care of your mother-in-law. That's amazing. And so for several months, right, all these months go by, and there's Ruth out there working hard, picking up the grain, going back and making food for her and Naomi, and they're there together. And then we come to chapter 3. In chapter 3, I got to tell you, it gets a little spicy in chapter 3, Okay. I'm just going to tell you, it's like when you go to Chick-fil-A, right? And you normally get the number one meal, but you're feeling like a little spicy today. So you kind of go, I'm going to give me the spicy chicken sandwich, you know, and just kind of spice it up a little bit. That's what it is. Now, this isn't Hattie B's. This isn't like we dare you. Okay, it's the Bible, right? We're going to tone it down. It's church. But it is a little spicy right here just to kind of let you know. Because it says in chapter 3 that one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Naomi's like, I'm getting a little bit older here, right? I don't know what's going to happen. Now, Boaz, with whom, whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he'll be winnowing the barley on the threshing floor. All right, so this is months later. The harvest has come in, and it is a big party. I mean, this is like the Super Bowl for them when they would come in. I mean, they would have, you know, it was a lot of eating, a lot of drinking. It was just a celebration. They're bringing in the harvest. It is a huge celebration. And she says... Wash, okay, go take a shower. Okay, that's important. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. Naomi's like, girl, you're going out tonight, right? You know, you're going down there, 
and I want you to go out and wait till he's in good spirits, wait till he's had enough to eat and drink, right? He's feeling good. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Like, make sure you go to the right guy, okay, is basically what she's saying, because there's a lot of people laying out there. Make sure you go to the right guy. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Yeah, you're sure, right? I'm sure he'll tell you what to do, right? You're like, what is going on, Naomi? Like, what are you, what are you doing, right? What are you saying to her? This was bold. I mean, honestly, right? This is bold. But to go there and to lie down at his feet, not do anything else, just lie down at his feet right there, and there you are, and just stay there. And then he's going to tell you, okay? So come down here to verse 9. Because she does that. She's laying at his feet. He's asleep. At some point he wakes up, and he says, who are you, he asked. What are you doing here? And she says, I am your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Guys, this is bold. I mean, Ruth is like, basically what she's saying is, will you marry me? I mean, that's what she's saying. She's like going all in because a guardian redeemer was somebody who had that, that responsibility or privilege. They didn't have to take this. They didn't have to do it. But they could redeem that family member if somebody in that family died. And she's like laying out there like, hey, I need help. I need help. Will you redeem me? You're the guardian redeemer. And there's this moment, I, I bet, I'll be, you know, there's this hesitation like, how's this going to go down? Like, what's going to happen here? And then look at verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Wow. It's like, yes, I'm there. And if you keep going, Boaz fights for her, right? He stands up at the city gate and says, hey, I want to take her to be my wife. And they're like, what are you doing? I mean, you're this man, this incredible field. You're successful in this Moabite widow. He's like, yes, I'm fighting for her. Look over at chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Can you imagine Naomi? Her husband's died, her two sons have died, and she thought, man, I'm done. And now she comes back to God, follows God, trusts God, and here she is holding this precious grandson in her arms. I can imagine just tears streaming down her face. You might have been there. You're holding your child or holding your grandson or granddaughter or holding your niece or your nephew and just seeing what God's doing in your family. You're just like, God, thank you. Thank you. That's Naomi right here, right? The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. I mean, here's Ruth, this Moabite widow, single adult, coming back, and God meeting her in her emptiness and her brokenness, and God giving her Boaz and this beautiful marriage and this family that impacts generations. Wow. All right, if you're taking notes today, here's some things I'd love for you to write down. I'd love for you to write down. If you've got a worship guide or if you're online, you can grab the Rolling Hills app, pull that up, 
And here's some things I want us to get today. Hey, notice this. There will be challenges in our relationships. There will be challenges. See, a lot of times when you first start dating, you're like, oh, he's perfect, you know, or oh, she's amazing, you know, or, or you first get married, and you're like, oh, it's going to be so perfect. We're not ever going to have any struggles. We're going to live happily ever after in a castle, and it's going to be great. And you're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. That's not real life, okay? That's not real life. See, after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion died, and Naomi was left with her two sons and her husband. And you just got to let that sink in for a minute, okay? I mean, you talk about despair, you talk about depression, you talk about hurt, you talk about pain, right? See, hard things happen in life. They do. Death, divorce, and broken hearts. You know, last week we talked about how Genesis 1 and 2, I mean, things were perfect. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were in right relationship with God, right relationship with each other. And then Genesis 3, God, we don't want to do it your way. We're going to do it the way of the world. We're going to go after sin. We're gonna, and all of a sudden there was death. See, Adam and Eve weren't going to die before. They had eternal life, right? Now there's death in the picture. Now, praise God, he conquers death and we have eternal life. But still, in this world, in our relationships, there's going to be hard things that we face. You know, my, my mom and dad were married 56 years. 56 years. Isn't that incredible? 56 years, and about four years ago, my dad went home to be with the Lord. And my mom still misses him, right? We all still miss him. But there is that part of life. There's that part of life that is challenges, there's difficulties, but yet God's with us in the middle of the challenges. Hey, no relationship is perfect. And if we could learn that and go, you know what, in my marriage, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be struggles. No relationship is perfect. Why? Because there's two imperfect people. Right? I mean, we're two imperfect people, or you're raising your kids, and, they, and they're struggling, they're becoming, you know, they're moving from, you know, dependence to independence, and there's this struggle, there's this tension. All of our relationships, there's going to be challenges that we face, and when we know that, and we're aware of that, then all of a sudden we can handle that. But when we think everybody's perfect, then all of a sudden we think, oh man, what's wrong? All, every marriage, every relationship faces challenges. God is the only one who does not change. God is the only one who does not change. That's why in the book of Ruth, this is such a declarative statement when Ruth makes this and says, don't urge me to leave you to turn back from me. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And if you haven't made that declaration in your life yet, you're still trying to figure this whole thing out, right? You're still like, I don't know, I'm gonna live the way of the world or I'm gonna live the way of God or what's important to me, what's important to my family. I'm going to tell you, this is where it starts. And there comes a point for every one of us, right, as God is drawing us to himself that we say, I'm putting a stake in the ground. I'm following the Lord. That God is enough for me. That God is with me in the good times. God's with me in the tough times. God is for me. Ruth does that. And this is where it all changes for her, right? Prioritize your relationship with God. Guys, we talked about it last week, but prioritize your relationship with God. God first. God first. And then your, your spouse, your, whoever you're dating, your dating life there, right? Then your kids and then your career. But make sure that you're growing in your relationship with God. Take the initiative, look at this, to be around the right people. Take the initiative to be around the right people. And Naomi, right, is smart. I mean, one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Now, Boaz... <laughs> with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Naomi encourages Ruth to be around Boaz. She is smart here, right? She's thinking about this. And she's like, I got to put Ruth 
in a place where she's around the right people. I, I love that. I love that mother-in-law, and I love that, you know, here Ruth goes, okay, that, that's good. In your life, are you around the right people? Are you around the right people? Put yourself in a position to succeed. If you're dating, right, be around godly people. Be at church, you know? There's great people. Be at Thrive. Be at places where you can succeed. Be on eHarmony, not on Tinder. I mean, like, that's just smart. I mean, like, be wise. Come on, put yourself in a position to succeed. You become like the company you keep. You become like the company you keep. If you are married, right, be in a couples group. Be in a community group with other married couples. See, what can happen is you get a struggle in your marriage, and then you're like, well, I'm going to go out with the girls, and we're going to go out, and you go out with the girls, and you're drinking wine, and you start complaining about your husband, right? Everybody's complaining about my husband this, my husband that, and you're like, yeah, 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 that's right, you know, and I'm going to tell him, and I'm going to show him. And you're like, what? You're not succeeding there. That's not good, right? Guys, you can do the same thing. You get a bunch of guys, you're like, yeah, you know, my wife, this. Like, stop. Stop, 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 stop. Be around people who go, you know what? Hey, we got some challenges, but man, we're working on it. Hey, how can we pray for you? How can we pray together? In fact, are, are you praying in your marriage? I, I mean, you start to get around people like that, you're going to have healthy relationships. It will change. It will impact you. You become like the company you keep. So be a person of noble character. This to me is so powerful. Here's what Boaz says, right? He says, and now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. I mean, here is this single adult, you know, this, this girl from Moab, you know, she's probably cute because she's out there in the field, but, but Boaz is like protecting her. He catches her eye, you know, and he's like, oh man, but she's a woman of noble character. See, Ruth and Boaz were both people of noble character. Here's the thing, guys. Listen, listen. Proverbs 31 says this. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Guys who are here and are married, you have a godly woman, you lack nothing of value. God has blessed you beyond your wildest dreams. You be grateful. You be thankful. You take care of her because she is a wife of noble character. But Boaz was also a man of noble character. Let's be honest. Boaz could have easily taken advantage of that whole situation right there. He could have said, hey, we're going to have a one-night stand, right? We're going to have a little fling. Nobody has to know. I mean, she had no rights. And Boaz is like, no, 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 no. We're going to do this right. We're going to do this well. We're going to do this in a way that honors God. Hey, character is built in the little everyday decisions of life. Character is built in the little everyday decisions of life. What website am I going to go to? Am I really going to watch that movie? Where am I going to let my mind go in that relationship? What am I going to decide today to do? And who am I going to decide today to be? Character is built there. Character is who you are when no one's watching. And I love that about Ruth. She was a woman of noble character, and everybody in the town knew it. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right, have godly mentors in your life. Guys, this is so important. Have godly mentors in your life. Naomi said to her, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. 
for the man will not rest until the matter is settled. He's going to fight for you, Naomi says to her. Ruth listens to Naomi. Hey, if you're in middle school, you're in high school, you're in college here, let me just encourage you. Your parents are really smart. I'm just telling you, I know you think they don't know anything right now at this age, but at some point you're going to realize that, hey, they're pretty smart. They kind of know things. They've been around. They've seen some things. And for you to listen to godly people, God put them in your life for a reason. I mean, it's important. You know, back then they had arranged marriages. Being the dad of three daughters, I'm like, yeah, bring it back. Let's go. You know, my God. <laughs> because, but you know what they said? You know what they said? They said that marriage was way too important of a decision to be left to a matter of the heart. And I think so often, right, we get caught up. And I always tell my girls, hey, don't give your heart away. You know, be, be smart, right? Think with your mind too. You know, I mean, think about who you're in relationship with because, because you want to think about that decision. But you need godly people in your life. We all do. It doesn't matter what stage we're in. Who are you listening to in life? We're all growing. We're all maturing. Who are you listening to in your life? We all need godly people speaking into our lives. So today, we've got a bonus. We've got a treat. I'm so glad you're here today. And I'm going to invite Jeff and Laura Helton to come up. And Jeff and Laura are like professional marriage counselors. I mean, they are incredible. They have a wealth of experience and knowledge, and I've asked them to kind of share with us today. Guys, thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for us. Hey, tell us a little about you, your family, uh, and then marriage counseling. Just kind of give us an update. Jeff and I have been married for 33 years, (laughs) and we have four children. We have three boys and a girl. And two of our boys are married, and we have a son that just got engaged. And then we have a daughter who is single and dating. So this series covers all the different relationships in our family. And then we have four grandchildren. So we're loving this stage of our lives right now. It's a fun season. As far as marriage work, Laura's trained as a therapist. Uh, that's what she did. And then when babies came along, she was a stay-at-home mom during many of those years. And about a decade ago, uh, we started doing some work together in our coaching and, and counseling practice. Uh, my background, Jeff, as you know, is in pastoral counseling. So I did a whole lot of work with couples through the years. Um, and then I, in 2010, when we went on our own, we partnered together, sometimes in the office, doing counseling with couples. We do intensives. We do marriage retreats. Uh, we do destination events where we take people away on a fun location, but have some time to really dig into how do you grow healthier marriages. It's a, just an area of passion for the two of us. Amen. That's awesome. Thank you for all the people you help, and thanks for being with us today. So talk about this, like the importance of premarital counseling, the importance of, you know, just having people speak into your lives at that stage in your life. I really enjoy doing premarital counseling, and and I would say if you're in a season of whether you're even thinking about getting engaged or you're already engaged, whether you're seeking out a counselor or a coach or older couples, I would just encourage you to do that. And one of the benefits, I think, is just for you to realize there are some really normal things that you will go through in marriage. And many times, I think, when when young people get married or whatever stage you're at, you can look at other couples and think, What is wrong with us? We're struggling in this area. And I think premarital counseling has offered me just a chance to to initiate, facilitate conversations with couples that are wanting to get married and just say, let's talk about how you're different and how that's okay and how you navigate that. And talking about what you're bringing into marriage as far as what you've learned in your families and expectations and roles and money and how you're going to deal with that. And all those things can become things that help you understand each other better rather than creating conflict. But 
when there is conflict, I think premarital helps give tools to understand how do we deal with conflict, because most of us didn't grow up learning how to do that very well. So I think there's, it, it's a discussion starter and, and hopefully something that opens up conversations for a lifetime. That's awesome. Well, I encourage you about that because, you know, so many people I've watched do a lot of weddings and people spend months and thousands of dollars preparing for the wedding. And you're like, well, how much time have you spent preparing for the marriage? You know, because that's going to last a lot longer. So, Jeff, talk to us about what it takes to have a godly marriage. I mean, what did you, when you talk about a godly marriage or great marriage, both of you guys have incredible experience. Talk, both of you, would you just share kind of a little bit about that? Yeah, I think when we think about, you know, are there steps to the, the perfect marriage? You know, I, I wish it were like a, a money program. You know, you can create seven baby steps with your money. If you work them, then you're fine, you yeah. know, but marriage doesn't work that way. Relationships are messy. We talk about that all the time, but we have discovered through research and through practical experience that there are five foundations. We believe every marriage needs to be so intentional about if you're going to have a, a good, strong, God-honoring marriage. Yeah, and the first one is sounds simple, but I think it can be hard, and it's listen well and speak the truth in love. Listen well and speak the truth in love. And I love to listen to people's stories. I love to listen to people's journeys, but I'm not as good at listening to Jeff at times. You know, I can be half listening. I can be, uh-huh, uh-huh, but not really. I'm multitasking, you know, and so I, I think to be able to give him my eyes and my attention, full attention, is really what I continue to work on as far as listening well. And then speaking the truth in love. And, and doing it in love is the important part. And I've had to develop courage to speak the truth because I'm a conflict avoider. And so learning to speak the truth and, and trust that God will use that in our marriage and that we'll use it to help him grow as much as we use it to help me grow. The second one is treat each other with kindness and respect. Mm. And I think when, when we do that, it honors each other and it helps us feel safe in our, in our relationships. If we're not doing that, it can often lead, we may be doing more, being more critical or being more withdrawn or defensive. And so if those things come up, which they often do, just trying to remember, how can I respond with kindness and with respect? Third thing we talk about a lot is, is become a student of your spouse. You know, I, I'm amazed at how many of us on our wedding day, I think we go, okay, well, I'm married to her. I'm married to him. I must know him. We're all good. We don't need anything else. But learning your spouse is a lifelong endeavor, right? You know, I think about your parents, 56 years, yeah. incredible. And I guarantee you, you know, your mom would say, oh, there were still things I was learning about him during that last year. Yeah. You know, I think there's so many practical ways we can be students of each other. You know, Gary Chapman's five love languages are personality inventory or learning to ask questions of each other. Research shows that the more that we get to know our spouse, the greater the likelihood for a marriage of great satisfaction. Kind of a fourth block we talk about a lot in marriage and we believe is so important is take personal responsibility for you. Uh, be, be aware of your own actions, your own feelings. Take personal responsibility for you. You know, Jeff, last week when you were in Genesis 3, you know, yeah. everything blows up. We've got this perfect situation in 1 and 2. The first thing Adam does, you know, he goes and he hides. He, he, he runs away and God comes to him and says, Adam, where are you? And it seems like a pretty easy question. Uh, I, you would think Adam would go, oh, we're right over here behind this fig tree. Our bad, my bad. But instead he does what I call the double blame. He goes, well, the woman that you gave me, I mean, look what she did, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's so common in our marriages is that we want to blame our spouse. We don't take ownership. We get in a big debate, a big argument, a big fight. 
and we start pointing fingers. And one of the foundations is take responsibility for your emotions. Your emotions aren't your wife's problem to solve. Your thoughts are your issues to deal with. And then finally, fifthly, we talk often about the importance of apologizing and choose to forgive. You know, that simple word forgiveness seems to be one of the lost arts of marriages in our culture. Being able to sit down and name, this is what's happened, this hurt me, and I want to go beyond just being hurt. I also want to go, how do I extend grace to you? Because y'all, it's going to flip. I'm going to need grace extended to me at some times. I know that we have to take ownership when we've done things, we've stepped out of bounds, when marriage has gotten hard. But if, if we will learn to practice those, those, those principles of how do we own I, I was wrong. How, how do we, I choose to forgive you? Th- th- that, those with the other four blocks, we think are pretty important factors to building healthy, God-honoring marriages. Amen. How have you guys seen COVID impact mm-hmm. relationships even today? Because y'all do a lot with people. Yeah, I think in talking, listening to a lot of people's journeys on that, it, you know, I think there are, there's a smaller section that feels like this has been great for their, their marriage. They've had more time together. It's been less stress having, you know, people come and go as much. But I think more people have really found it challenging and, and the stress level has just increased in marriage and it's the easiest person to take it out when we're at home a lot with each other. And so I think the other part of it, I think develops this underlying frustration and anger because we don't know how to ask for what we need. Whether it's, if you're an introvert, you really need a lot more time alone and this has been hard. Mm-hmm. If you're an extrovert, you want a lot more time with people and you haven't gotten that. So I think just being able to acknowledge those things, but it, it's, it's taken a toll on a lot of marriages. And I would just say, talk about it or find somebody to help process it because you're not alone in that. Wow. So what encouragement would you give to all of us, right? Married, single. I mean, where, what encouragement would you give about having a godly marriage now or one day or whatever? Jeff, I, I'm going to quote you. I think what you said last week when you threw up the triangle illustration, mm-hmm. you know, husband, wife at the base, Christ at the top. You know, the best marriages are when both people are diligently pursuing intimacy with Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, when the husband and the wife both are chasing hard after Christ. And yet, let's be honest, y'all. Uh, Laura and I, we, you know, I was a pastor. Laura was a, doing Christian counseling. And we, we were chasing hard after God and, and, and serving in our church. And our marriage was really difficult. And, and we just kept going, well, it's, it's not that big of a deal. You know, we were stuck. And in our stuckness, I became stubborn. And I would just say this to you. When you're stuck, and if you're stuck this morning, don't be stubborn. Be willing to reach out for help. Be willing to go, we need to talk to somebody. Maybe it's just another couple. For us, at eight years of marriage, there were four couples that came into our lives, and it was transformational for us. Four years later, we sat down in a therapist's chair and said, we need more help. How do we get the tools that we don't have? How do we deal with our stuff? Now, I just think we live in a world when, when we want simple answers sometimes. You know, so the triangle is beautiful. And it's true, y'all. Like, you can't argue with it. Grow, grow, grow close to Christ and you grow close to each other. And yet, there's all sorts of stuff that we, as we grow with Christ, that we carry with us in our backpacks, junk from our past. And sometimes we need some place to process that. I, I would say this. Embrace the messiness of your marriage mm-hmm. as a good gift from God. There are moments when our marriages are the single most frustrating thing on the planet can I get an amen? I mean, it's like, you know, it's so difficult. Why can I love this woman so much and be so frustrated with her? And I think being able to slow down and say, wait, we're in the mess right now. We won't always be here. God will redeem it. God will take us through and be able to really reach out and say, help, we don't want to walk this alone. The marriage walking by itself 
if the, is the marriage that's headed for trouble. So if you're not known by some other couple, by some other person, I would encourage you strongly, act on that soon. Wow. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Oh, so good. All right. A couple more here. Allow God to be your one. Allow God to be your one. You know, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. I mean, it's just an unbelievable story, right? She's a Moabite. She's a widow. She's an outcast. And this guy has fields and workers and all this, but here they are together. Ruth made her commitment to God, though, and I want you to see that. That's where it started. It wasn't when she met Boaz and being in the field. It was like, no, I'm committing to God. I'm going to do it his way. I'm going to go to the land. I'm going to be there in the right place. Naomi and Ruth came to Bethlehem empty. I mean, literally, literally empty. I mean, they had nothing, nothing, and yet God filled them. God wants to do that for you. God wants to do that in your life. God wants to do that in your relationships. Your relationships, guys, will impact generations. And, and sometimes we know we just kind of think, I'm trying to get through this season of life. It's busy. It's crazy. I'm trying to get through this COVID time, or I'm trying to get through the kids being in school, when they're out of school, or when they're this, and then I'll work on my marriage, or, or you know, I got to get through this season of, of job. No, no, no. Listen, listen. It impacts generations. This child that Ruth and Boaz had, I mean, his name was Obed, and Obed became the father of Jesse, and Jesse became the father of David, the greatest king in Israel's history, and in the line of Jesus. And in the line of Jesus, there's a Moabite woman, you know, a woman of noble character who said, God, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to do it right. And it's so beautiful to think that God was using that relationship to impact our relationship because Jesus is our guardian redeemer. <laughs> Jesus is our guardian redeemer. I mean, guys, when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, God made us alive in Christ. And it wasn't what you did, what I did. It was what Jesus did for us on the cross, that Jesus came, that Jesus fought for us to redeem us, to restore us. And all of our mess ups, all of our mistakes, and we've all had them. We've all had relationships that we think, why did I do that? Or what happened there? We all have places that we just failed. But you know what? Jesus steps in to redeem and to restore. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that you are new, that you're redeemed, that you are loved. <laughs> you are loved. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a minute. I don't know where you are today, but I want to tell you this. You are loved. <laughs> Whether you're in this room or you're watching online or you're somewhere in the United States or around the world, you are loved there's a God who loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to redeem you. Start with him today. <laughs> right now, God, I'm making you the one in my life. I want to follow you. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, why not today? <laughs> Jesus, forgive my sins, redeem me, restore me, come into my heart, my life. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Maybe for you today, God's just kind of speaking to you because you've been outside, outside of his will. You've been trying to do things your own way in all your relationships and you're tired and you're frustrated. And God's like, no, today's a new day. Today's a day when you make a commitment to do it my way. Maybe there needs to be healing in a dating relationship. Maybe there needs to be healing and forgiveness in a marriage. God, 
God, speak to us right now. So, Father God, we are your servants, and we want to do it your way. We want to follow you. And God, we admit that this world, it's hard. Life can be hard. It can be challenging. It can be difficult. But God, today, today we're making you the one. We want to honor you in our dating relationships. We want to honor you in our marriage. We want to value and cherish our, our kids and all the relationships, God, that you've given us. So don't let us get stuck. Don't let us be selfish. Don't let us be stubborn. Let us be people of faith. Let us be humble and gracious and people of noble character. So meet us in this moment, Jesus. Heal and redeem and restore like only you can. For you're our guardian, redeemer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, after the service, I'll be here. There'll be people on our prayer team. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you. Whatever's going on in your life, right? Praying with people after the 8 o'clock. So many things that are happening in relationships. But guys, you're not alone. God is with you. God is for you. If you're watching online, you have a prayer request, go to rollinghills.church forward slash prayer. We'll pray with you or jump in the chat room. At this time, I want to invite our ushers to come forward. It's a chance for us to give back, a chance for us to invest in God's kingdom and for God's glory. If you have a prayer request, just drop it in the basket. We pray every Monday with our staff. We pray over all the prayer requests that come in. And this is a chance for us just to honor God with the things that he's given us. Uh, again, you can give online at rollinghills.church forward slash give. And we have a chance to do that today. So let me say a short prayer right now. Father, thank you that you're a God who fights for us, a God who redeems us, a God who restores us. Father, I pray that you would take what is given, multiply it, and use it so many people hear about your love and your grace. Thank you for the love that you have for us, Jesus. In your name we pray and we give. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, Download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. Thanks for listening. We're thankful for you.